News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Happy anniversary to us. It's coming up. What are you doing on uh, the 9th? Saturday, the 9th, 7.30, Halton Theater, CPCC. Go to WBT.com and get tickets and details for the 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. I'm going to be there. More, Way more famous people than me are going to be there. John Hancock, A.J. Thompson, James K. Flynn, Jim Barrel. We're going to be inducting John Stokes and Jim Zoki and Bob Lacey into the Hall of Fame. It's going to be a good time. So uh, come on out if you can. It's on Saturday, April 9th. And uh, say hello. I'll be hanging out afterwards. So, all right. So Governor Roy Cooper says the state of emergency is going to remain in place as North Carolina moves into the next phase in the response to COVID-19. The governor said the state of emergency is still needed as it gives flexibility to health care providers to help with surges as well as helping them distribute vaccines and treatment to people. I would have loved to uh, follow up to this with such as. Yeah, it's weird. I can hear a clicking in the background. Not sure what that is. Um, anyway, we're having technical difficulties here in the studio, so I apologize if I get rattled. That's It's one of my uh, weak, uh, weak points. Why don't we call them weak suits? We call them strong suits, but not weak suits. I wonder why. Uh, So the governor said that the state of emergency is still needed because it gives flexibility. And I wish somebody would have asked him, such as, what are these things that the health care providers need to have that only the ED can provide? Um, This is part of the pivot to normalcy. It coincides with the Democratic Governors Association messaging to pivot from the COVID fear porn and get people to, you know, return to normalcy, declare victory and get your people, get your base, start to believing that we've turned the corner. So that's what they are trying to do. Now they've rolled out. I'm going to move on to now the metric side of this news conference. So they said from now on, The dashboard, the DHHS dashboard, which has not exactly been the most fantastic of uh, data sites, but it's going to be updated weekly on Wednesdays and now focus on seven key metrics. Here they are. Wastewater testing. Yes, they are testing the poop to detect and quantify the SARS-CoV-2 virus in community wastewater systems because it shows up in there and you'll know if there's about to be an outbreak based on uh, the, you know, the, the service area of the treatment facility. So that, that's one, wastewater testing. Number two, COVID-like illness in hospital emergency departments and its percentage of total emergency visits. So this is kind of like percent positive, but it's COVID-like illness. And by the way, this is what they do with flu-like illness as well. They monitor that. They have a whole system for monitoring and tracking the flu-like uh, sin, uh, symptoms and when they present. And so you kind of get a baseline, but this is only in the emergency departments or the EDs, if you will. Uh, then there is the COVID-19 hospital admissions, which is kind of weird. I thought we were tracking that, but nobody asked 
you know, are they separating out people with COVID that are in the hospital from the people who are in the hospital due to COVID or on deaths? Have you separated out deaths from COVID versus deaths with COVID? Nobody asked those questions. Another metric they'll be using is the total number of reported cases. Oh, thank goodness, because that's a big number and that the media loves that number. Booster vaccination rates. Any new variant and its levels in North Carolina and also by county and the CDC's COVID-19 community levels based on hospital beds in use, hospital admissions and cases. So I I'm going to hold fire on this. I'm not going to attack the data and science. I'm not going to attack it yet. I don't know how they're going to be used. My assumption is not well, but. I'm going to wait and see because I've been arguing for certain key metrics to be sort of the focal point. I think they make sense. Emergency department hospitalizations uh, for COVID, not with COVID, for COVID deaths from COVID. I think those are these are the numbers that we need to know. And you need to also know as a percentage of the rest of the population at the hospital and the rest of the people that get admitted with COVID and for COVID. I want as much context as possible. I want to see all of the stats because I assume that the media reports about a lot of the data that I read is that these reports are written by people that don't know what they're talking about. I mean, that's what they have conveyed to me over the last two years. There are some good ones, but by and large, I don't trust any of the data that I see in these reports. And so I want to be able to go find all of the data and then find the context for myself so as to judge whether or not a reporter is trustworthy. Uh, Then this is the Charlotte Observer. Uh, North Carolina is entering a new phase. So everybody is obviously taking the talking point, right? This is the new phase, turning the corner, turning the page, whatever. This is the, the talking point that the Democrat consultants wanted to establish media is helping to amplify uh, that very talking point. Uh, the dashboard is no longer going to include contact tracing and they'll report case data and positive tests on a weekly basis from now on. The CDC is the reason why the metrics have changed back in, uh, well, two weeks ago or so there was a story by John Miltimore at the uh, Foundation for Economic well, uh, Education, I think, FEE.org. I think that's right. FEE.org. And he talks about how in late February, the CDC made an announcement that it was updating its framework to monitor and contain COVID-19. And that's what got the ball rolling on all of this. And it's why all of these governments have followed the CDC's lead. And all of a sudden, we're able to turn a corner, coincidentally, and an opportune time for Democrats. I'm sure it's all coincidental. The Black Keys. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete of the show. If you'd like to call, 704-570-1110. By the way, that is not saying that if you're a Pete, you can still call. That's fine. There could be two Petes. It's all right. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110 are the phone numbers. And Pete at the thepetecallendershow.com is the email. You can also hit me up on Twitter. Uh, at Pete Callender, and of course, go to WBT.com and get the podcast. So the Foundation for Economic Education, their website is FEE.org, FEE.org, a fellow by the name of John Miltimore, noting that back on February 25th, the CDC made its expected announcement that it was updating its framework to monitor and contain COVID-19. The CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, said, quote, We are in a stronger place today as a nation with more tools to protect ourselves and our communities from COVID-19, like vaccination, boosters, broader access to testing, availability of high-quality masks, accessibility to new treatments, and improved ventilation. By the way, if that sounds similar to what Cody Kinsley said, the North Carolina Director of Health and Human Services, is because that is what he said. They're all singing off the same page. Now, most of the headlines in the media focused on the CDC's relaxed mask guidelines, which advised that most Americans could ditch their masks. But how the CDC arrived at this conclusion has gotten very little scrutiny. I wonder why. The CDC changed its mask guidance, even though COVID cases and COVID mortality remain high. In fact, higher than last summer and similar to a year prior. So with the numbers so high, why did you change your mask guidance? Well, Walensky said, quote, with widespread population immunity, the overall risk of severe disease is now generally lower. And remember, Cody Kinsley said something very similar when he said 94% of North Carolinians had some form of immunity, had some level of 94% have some level of immunity. There are two key takeaways, Miltimore writes. Walensky's call to direct efforts towards protecting people at high risk for severe illness, that sounds a little bit like the focused protection strategy that a lot of public health experts and epidemiologists have been advocating all along, some of whom were labeled fringe scientists by the government's top infectious disease bureaucrats. Secondly, It's worth examining how Walensky reached this conclusion. So during the call, CDC noted that 70% of Americans are in areas with low or medium COVID community levels. 70% of Americans are in areas with low or medium COVID levels. But just days before... CDC data showed that the vast majority of U.S. counties were suffering from high transmission. Well, what happened? Did all the vaccines just, like, all of a sudden kick in? No, that's not what happened. No, they changed the way they determined low, medium, and high. That's all. CDC simply changed the formula that it had been using to measure community transmission. A community's COVID-19 level is determined by a combination of three pieces of information, 
new hospitalizations, current hospital beds occupied by COVID-19 patients or hospital capacity, and new COVID-19 cases. So they changed. And by the way, this is what Kinsley said as well. These are the metrics that they're following. So simply by changing its formula to include hospitalizations and hospital capacity, which who was advocating for that? Who was? Oh, that's right. It was me. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's been me for like a year and a half. By simply changing its formula to include hospitalizations and hospital capacity, the CDC took the vast majority of the United States from a state of high transmission down to low or moderate. And then, look at that. We can wipe our hands of it. Oh, fantastic. The transmission's much lower. We're just, yeah, we're just going to change this formula. Now, now we can move on. I'm so glad we changed that formula. Makes you wonder why they didn't think of changing it earlier. Almost as if there might have been something at play other than the science and data. Now, a lot of people are not angry that they've changed this formula. I'm not mad that they changed it. It's good that they did. It's a better representation. But New York Times writer Nate Cohn observed something important about the recent polling and the American mood that the polling results are especially striking at a time when coronavirus cases, hospitalizations, and even deaths are actually near record highs. Indeed, the same polls showed that the public's concern about the virus increased during the Omicron wave. But in a telling indication of the public's attitudes towards the pandemic, greater worry about the virus has not translated to greater support for measures to stop its spread. In other words, the CDC's sudden and radical change to its COVID risk formula appears to be a response to a change in our mood. They're reading the polls. Now, maybe that's important. Maybe it's not, but I think that's newsworthy. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So the CDC suddenly and radically changes the COVID risk formula. Coincidentally, right at the same time that the public polling shifts, indicating most people are done with COVID, even though... You got higher case counts. You got more transmission. All of the numbers are higher than they were before. But the public attitude shifts. And then the CDC redoes its metrics and simply changes the formula by which it rates community transmission. And all of a sudden you go from and it's it, it really is startling. You see the uh, the map of America and it's all broken down by counties. So you get all the counties all across the country and. They've either got a, they're colored red for high, orange for substantial community transmission, yellow for moderate, and blue for low. And aside from about, I don't know, 10 to 15 counties, everything's red and orange. There's a couple yellows, fewer blues, but the hospitalizations and capacity, too. We're going to throw that in the mix. And all of a sudden, the map goes 
high, medium, low. So they got rid of the substantial. Now it's just high, medium, low. And now the map has a lot of green for low, a lot of yellow for medium, and a fair amount of high. But it looks a lot better. So John Miltimore at uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org, he says pandemic policies were created by public health officials and politicians, and public choice theory tells us these people make decisions based on incentives, just like everybody else. Public choice theory. This was a field of economics that was pioneered by James Buchanan, the Nobel Prize winning economist. Miltimore says, as I previously explained early in the pandemic, the incentive for most public officials was clear. Take every precaution necessary to avoid being blamed for COVID deaths, regardless of the efficacy or damage of the policies. Lock down schools in perpetuity, do it. Lock down all of the businesses, do it. Put masks on everybody, do it. Just everything, just go all in immediately because the incentive for these elected officials was to do the most possible in order to save every life. Because at the beginning, people were freaking out. Quote, it's important to remember that politics, above all else, is about self-preservation. And imposing government restrictions that don't work and cause serious harms is a better political strategy for most politicians than telling people to act responsibly, wash your hands, maintain a prudent distance from each other, and avoid touching your face. Um, The primary change is the appetite for non-pharmaceutical interventions. Americans have grown tired of them. And this, above all else, is likely what prompted the CDC to change its COVID risk formula. To understand why and how it happened, don't look to science, look to public choice theory. Public choice theory. That people make decisions, politicians, bureaucrats, they make decisions based on incentives. Because everybody does. Then there's this. From the New York Times, of all places... Back in February, reporting that the CDC is not publishing large portions of COVID data that it collects. For more than a year, the CDC collected data on hospitalizations and broke it down by age, race, and vaccination status. So here's this data point again. The very data point that I've been saying we should be using is the hospitalizations with COVID, from COVID, capacity of the hospitals, And how many people are actually dying from COVID? How many people are on ventilators? That's going to give you a better idea of the severity of an outbreak. So CDC has been collecting this data, but it has not made most of the information public. When the CDC published the first significant data on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than age 65 in February, it left out the number for a huge portion of the population, those ages 18 to 49 the group least likely to benefit from the extra shots. Why? Because the first two doses already left them well protected. The agency recently debuted a dashboard of their wastewater data. They're going to be monitoring the poop stations. That's going to get updated daily and might provide early signals of an oncoming surge. Some states and localities had been sharing this info from the the beginning. And North Carolina was actually uh, one of the pioneers in this area, which I'm all for. Good job. Absolutely. 
Two full years into the pandemic, the agency leading the country's response to the public health emergency has published only a tiny fraction of the data it has collected. Much of the withheld information could help state and local officials better target their efforts to bring the virus under control. Detailed, timely data on hospitalizations by age, by race, it would help health officials identify and help populations at uh, highest risk. Information on hospitalizations and death by age and vaccination status could have helped inform whether healthy adults need the booster shots. Wastewater surveillance across America would spot outbreaks quickly. Kristen Nordland, a spokeswoman for the CDC, said that the agency has been slow to release the different streams of data, quote, because basically at the end of the day, it's not yet ready for prime time. So we haven't released it because we don't think it's ready to be released, which makes perfect sense in a circular logic sort of way. She said the agency's priority when gathering any data is to ensure that it is accurate and actionable. And uh, another reason is the fear that the information might be misinterpreted. Show of hands, how many people think that's actually the real reason? They don't want some of this data to be used in a way that undermines the arguments they're advancing, right? Yeah, that's what I think is going on. Why Why else would you just sit on the data? Just make it all available. Make it all available. Open it all up. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I got an email earlier. Uh, this is from, who's this from? Tim, who says, Pete, it is interesting how all of the wannabe Nazis crawled out from under their rocks during the COVID-19 semi-hoax. Cooper, Mandy, Whitmer in Michigan, Cuomo, New York, all come to mind. They will not give up their newfound powers easily. By the way, have you ever noticed how Roy Cooper speaks down to people, much like a third grade teacher? Yes, I have noticed that. I've commented on that very uh, that very thing. I it Cohen did the same thing. It's super annoying, and I guess that's why I don't do well in those types of settings. I know this about myself. I don't do well if I was in that newsroom or uh, news conference, and he talked to me like that. I would probably say something along the lines of, sir, why are you speaking to me like I'm a child? I'm an adult. And maybe other reporters prefer to be spoken to as a child. I do not. I don't know why people put up with that. No, he's just, yeah, it's just old Ray, Ray Cooper. Sorry, that's reference to when Hillary Clinton came to town and said, we got to elect Ray Cooper, my good friend, Ray Cooper. Yeah. Old Ray. Anyway, back to the New York Times' article on uh, how the CDC is not publishing large portions of the COVID data that it has been collecting. I suspect the main reason is actually the third one listed in the list here of the potential reasons, which was, number one, it's not yet ready for prime time. That was the number one reason why they said they were not publishing this data for two years. Uh, Number two is that the agency's priority when it gathers data is to ensure it's accurate and actionable, which... They apparently have not been able to do for two years. 
third reason, I mean, it's a minor thing. There's a concern that it might be misinterpreted. Because telling people how many hospitalizations there are might be misinterpreted in what way? They say their data systems are outmoded and they've got multiple bureaucratic divisions that got to sign off on important publications. And so that can hang some stuff up, too, for, you know, two years. There was a fellow quoted in the piece, though, Samuel Scarpino, managing director of pathogen surveillance at the Rockefeller Foundation's Pandemic Prevention Institute, who said, quote, The CDC is a political organization as much as it is a public health organization. (gasps) No, say it ain't so. The CDC has been routinely collecting information since the COVID vaccines were first rolled, uh, rolled out last year. According to a federal official familiar with the effort, the agency has been reluctant to make those figures public, though, because they might be misinterpreted as the vaccines being ineffective. Ms. Nordland, who is, uh, hang on a second, I identified her early, uh, earlier, Kristen Nordland, spokeswoman for the CDC. She confirmed that, yes, that is, in fact, one of the reasons. But another reason is that the data represents, like, only 10% of the population. But the CDC has actually relied on the same level of sampling to track influenza, and they've been doing that for years. So for some reason, you don't want to use the same standard for the flu as you're using for the vaccines. The flu shots versus vaccines seems pretty similar. Some outside public health experts were stunned to hear that this information exists. One of the stunned people, Jessica Malati Rivera, who said, quote, we have been begging for that sort of granularity of data for two years. She is an epidemiologist and part of the team that ran the COVID tracking project, which was an independent effort that compiled data on the pandemic until March of 2021. A detailed analysis, she said, builds public trust and it paints a much clearer picture of what's actually going on. Right. This has always been my beef about the way the data has been reported and which metrics are being used. And this is another example of it. The way you build trust is not to direct me to your preferred conclusion. The way you build trust is to make all of it available. And yes, it's going to get messy. And yes, you're going to have people out there that are going to use it to advance disinformation or misinformation or fake news. You know, like Hunter Biden's laptop was fake news, that kind of stuff. Lord, that's really loud. So, yes, people are going to use it for... For nefarious purposes. That is true. But by and large, the truth will rise to the top. By and large, enough people looking at the data, honestly, in good faith, they're going to get to the right conclusions. And it's also going to paint an accurate picture, and it builds credibility. This is one of the reasons why it is incumbent upon the people who made the decisions that they did that caused harm during the pandemic to acknowledge and admit that some of those decisions were wrong. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay that you made the wrong decision, but but you are going to get them wrong. Are you telling me you acted perfectly? Are you telling me, like Governor Cooper, did he make not a single... He said we made the right choices. That's what he said yesterday. We made the right choices. Is that the case? You made every single right choice? Every single decision that you had to make, you chose the correct option? Really? So are you... You're saying you are the perfect 
COVID politician. You led the state. We did not even know it. That apparently we've got like essentially Jesus as our governor. I was not. I mean, well, just on the COVID. I don't know about the other things. He's not claiming, you know, that he made all the right choices on everything else. But he said on COVID, we made the right choices. Okay. Not a single mistake. He was perfect. He batted, batting a thousand. Look at him. 100% correct answers on every single tough choice that he was presented with during a once in a century pandemic. A detailed analysis would build trust. Acknowledging you didn't get everything right builds trust. Concern about the misinterpretation of hospitalization data broken down by vaccination status is not unique to the CDC. In Scotland, for example, public health officials said that they would stop releasing data on COVID hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status because of similar fears that the figures would be misrepresented by anti-vaccine groups. Are you worried it's going to be misrepresented or are you worried it's going to be represented? Which is it? Maybe it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Why are you worried that people can misrepresent data? The data is just going to tell you what it is. The data for hospitalizations is going to be broken down. Hey, you got people with COVID and or from COVID, you know, due to COVID. Because I, I don't know if they're going to get, I don't know if they're going to split the, uh, that population up. But I guess if you're in the hospital, you test positive for COVID. And then you die, they're going to now, they don't want to show you how many people had a vaccine and died. Because it doesn't help them advance the argument that everybody needs to get the shots. But the mere fact that we know this now, that you're saying this, and you don't want to give the information because you're afraid it's going to undermine your campaign, that undermines your campaign now. Is the Streisand effect, people. When will they ever learn?